Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. research and development. I think it's his fourth time here in Sydney. For those of you who don't know about Adrian's practice, would you like to maybe introduce yourself? I'm sure you do a little bit more justice than I would. Okay. Um, that, I'm, I'm not very sure if I'm going to be doing much more justice than who knows well. Well, I'm, I'm an artist from Argentina, from a city called uh, Rosario. Uh, that's kind of in the more or less the center of the country, some four hours away from the capital city, uh, which is uh, Buenos Aires. When I say four hours away, it's like by, by car. I would say, um, yeah, I, I do something in between sculptures, environments, installations. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel terrible when, when I have to define my work in using this like kind of a very you know structure structured uh, w w language um, but I, I guess um, yeah I'm, I'm, perhaps I'm not I'm, I'm not good, a good one to talk about what I, what I do or how I do it <laughs> well let's talk about what you've been doing then rather than what you've been doing in the sense of making so it is your fourth visit here quite a number of different experiences so far across those those iterations would you maybe like to share a story about what experiences so far stood out or resonated um, either personally or in terms of your practice? Mm, yeah, um, let's see. I was uh, about to come for my first visit in 2016 and I, and I was really, really uh, preoccupied with the idea of like only, you know, going to Australia and visiting Sydney. So I talked to a friend, friend curator who who did uh, a lot of work and research here and and she said to me look why I mean if you don't go to the desert in Australia you will never understand Australia so she basically redirect me to a curator friend whose name is Hedy Perkins and Hedy was grateful and generous enough to introduce me to an artist a local artist uh, named Tony Albert and Tony and Hedy helped me go to Alice Springs. And I think this was a very uh, definitory like, um, trip. Not only for my, I mean, there's no, of course, there's no way you understand anywhere, any region, any country by spending three days in, in the desert, in any desert, no matter how beautiful that desert is, um, which is like a quite spectacular landscape, the one you find there. But, um, but I, I, I do have to say that it put me in touch with an, with these uh, friends now, and and it put me in touch with a very different reality than the the one you see in the streets of Sydney, of course. So it it, it put me in a much more I would say uh, alert mode, 
which is something I, I guess you, you always have to be, whatever you are. And I would say that, that we can go fast forward to 2018 and 19. I mean, in 2018, I meet again with uh, Hedy and Tony and, and we meet with the, the team, the curatorial team here at the, at the museum and they are working in the advisory board for indigenous cultures. And this was another very key moment where I start to, to you know create and generate these uh, friendships and friendships and, and, and also this uh, connectivity. right? Like it's important to come to a place and see friendly faces too. So I'm, I don't know if I'm answering because I have like many, many experiences to, to talk about when we talk about like uh, me being here in Australia. So you... yeah. that idea of connectivity within the network you're referring to, it, it's, it's a small world sometimes. So Kobe spent a lot of time in Alice Springs and having networks out there and it's, it's just funny the way it works sometimes and I think that's the nature of our culture, that's the way we work outside of the institution. Do you think that's how we practice every day here at the gallery? Or? Yeah, there's not much difference in between really, the professional and the personal um, when it comes to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander art and <clears throat> art practice and who we know taking up less than 3% of the population. You tend to know who's working in the arts very quickly. I personally am related to half of them. So <laughs> for me, uh, what I found um, you know, really interesting, your work is not a small statement. They're quite grandiose statements, but you know, since meeting you, it's quite clear that um, you like to delve into the layers of a country, that its history, its people. And that interest, I think, comes from, from, from you and what you want from your projects. You know, we were talking recently about how, um, you know, some places you go in and you know that you need to delve deeper. Other places you go in and you kind of, you know what you want to create. For someone who travels the world and is exposed to so many different cultures, so many different museums and galleries, what I'm interested in is um, what, what was it about coming to Australia, meeting people like Hetty and Tony? They're not, they're, they're big guns in our world, you know, they're um, exceptionally generous people. What is it about those experiences that's unique to Australia for you and what surfaces are you kind of wanting to delve deeper into in terms of this particular museum and um, how that relates to landscape and Aboriginal culture in your mind at the moment as you're working through it? Hmm, it's an excellent question. I think, um, let's go in part. Um... What's the first thing you do when you come to a country and you, you know that you're thinking about making maybe an artwork or doing some research? What's the entry point for you? It, it, it depends it depends a lot on the on as you said like I think it it depends on the on where you're going to produce something uh, I, I don't think there's a recipe but I, I do think it's important to as, as ever to be very open and porous so I let myself be driven I, I'm a person that you know I, I feel like I can adapt very easily so it's like if it's about like no phones no notebooks barefoot and let's walk I'm like right on let's do it and if it's about like getting into like full-on phones and let's do I don't know crazy Facebook whatever posting or whatever no matter how much I don't like it and I don't have a Facebook um, <laughs> account I can go into it I, f I feel like I, I can fill the container you know in any, any way so I, I like to firstly let myself be driven and I think in the case of the country here, I mean, the history, I mean, the, compli the complicated and conflicted history with uh, 
the colonies, post-colonial times and pre-colonial times, it's incredibly clear. I don't think like if, you know, it, it wouldn't be ethically not to at least try to engage with it, listen to as much as you can uh, and participate as much as you can. And we were just talking about this with, with Wes, Wesley and a couple like minutes ago before you, you arrived. Uh, it's going to sound very weird what I'm going to say, perhaps. But, but to me, Australia, it's starting to mean my own rediscovery of my own indigenous heritage, which I, I have a lot. My father is Peruvian. Half of my family, half of my DNA is basically Inca indigenous people. It's not little. You know, I mean, I'm half Peruvian, half Argentine. It's funny, like my, my girlfriend a couple months ago, she told me, why you never say that you're half Peruvian, half Argentine? Why people say you're Argentine? And she was like, you know, it's like she, a big explosion in my brain. And I'm like, absolutely, yes. So this also goes back to some 24 hours ago when we were discussing and saying like, look, I mean, this Sydney and Australia, the, his, the conflicts between all these people is far from being perfect. But somehow to me has become this flag, this space where I, I can see at least a very strong attempt. This is my perspective, a very privileged one, because as you said, like I, I arrived to Sydney, I'm worried because, you know, I'm only going to have a very partialized perspective of the context. And all of a sudden, some of the most generous and precious uh, beautiful, great minds of the country come and say, why don't you come to the desert with us, right? In this beautiful house and you meet all these beautiful people and you go to all these different like abyssid communities and you see indigenous artists and it's like, you know, this is the passport, the beautiful passport of an artist, right? You go with your passport and people like open door. <laughs> Um, Argentinian perspectives around their um, their colonial history. Can we just tease out what you said about having Inca heritage and Peruvian heritage and how you don't really identify with those two things usually, but that's something that's clicked in your head since being here? It has, I mean, it's been generating different types of clicks all my life. The thing is that, <laughs> imagine like, um, and perhaps this is also something we can all relate here, right? Like. Um, and this is a reason why somehow we all look like we could be siblings, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, my, my mother's family, they are all Eastern Europeans. This is a very typical Argentine situation. A, a city is very typical probably of, the, of this region here in Sydney, I mean, around Sydney. So we have half of people that, that really, I mean, in my family come from Eastern Europe, the Jewish pogroms, so very poor Europeans that come to the south of America to try to, you know, basically live a life. I mean, not die of uh, starvation. And these people came in early 20th century. I mean, what I'm going to narrate is a very typical situation of 20, early 20th century in many, many different parts of the world. Perhaps the, the peculiar thing I'm going to narrate is how the, there are two, two persons, my parents, that decided to engage and meet in perhaps the very peripheral area of the world in a moment where people from these two ethnic groups would never, would never meet. Not only because of uh, ethnicity, but also because of politics. My parents, they met during dictatorship, the last dictatorship in Argentina and the most cruel one, where 30,000 people disappeared. So we had like all these different massacres 
in my country. We don't, we don't, we don't only have the first terrible layer of massacres that happen when the space, when the, the whole, the whole continent is colonized. So we are talking about like 16th century, right? Like 1549, and then we are going to talk about uh, early 19th century, which is a second layer of massacre, which is after after the independence wars. It's so, so uh, violent and bloody, the history of my country in those senses. So, and then we have a, a third layer, which is dictatorships. Again, going back to my particular case, is uh, basically 20th century, early 20th century migration to Argentina from my mom's side. And my dad coming in the late 70s, which is like, Nowadays, with like all this, we want it or not, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worst, uh, systems to receive data, information about what, what's going on in the world, perhaps you wouldn't never go to Argentina. My dad went with a scholarship to study psychology to a country where like people his age were every day systematically being murdered, kidnapped and murdered. So, and this is again what I mean, that's the context in where they meet. And that's that, I mean, I, I was born in the 1980s, actually. I mean, 1983 is the end of dictatorship. So I was born during dictatorship in Argentina. And yeah, I don't know what, what we were discussing, but I, I was, I, I, it's, of course, it's incredibly complex to talk about the whole history of the, of the country and our problems there. But um, I, I, I can easily say that but it makes it relatable for us as First Nations people worldwide, and that's what we were talking about last night, which is really refreshing as a young Aboriginal curator from Australia, is it's so lovely to meet First Nations people identifying with that First Nations heritage or not, to understand the pressures that you have lived in your life and how there are similarities or differences between those countries. Absolutely. Now, let's face it, colonisation is a global thing. With There are First Nations people that... Um, you know the systematic colonial processes that have been applied to those peoples is is, is a shared experience that now mm-hmm. I think is more available for First Nations people in our globalized society to connect up and understand that we're not alone, but also to put a mirror up to each other's countries. And you were saying things that made me very optimistic about Australia's state of being in terms of their First Nations histories. Exactly, and and again I think we've been. We've been discussing, and, and, and I, I will repeat something. I, I, um, you're, we stay with the trouble, and we create space for the trouble to be present. And the trouble is a huge trouble. And you, you're in the mud having this, this huge fight. And there's no way to ne- not get dirty and get scratched and, and, and bruised. And, and this is about working out the trouble. There's no clean way out. It goes and it was straight never... down into just the humanity of dealing with that trauma. Hey, it's not necessarily about Absolutely. the country or all the intricacies of the colonial process. It's about how do we then look at each other as people from different races on different sides of the colonial fence or from multiracial heritages like myself with English, Filipino and Aboriginal. That conflict happens within my own genetics and yours too. Absolutely. And, and, and I think... Um, you, you said it so right, we are not alone. I think what happened to me and what happens when I see, you know, like you're 10 years younger than me and I see you guys like already so aware 
you know, you're aware. It took me a long time for me to some sort of like grasp this sort of awareness I have now. So I'm learning from you guys. It's you took me. You, 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 you <laughs> took me yesterday to to the engraving site, and I was there with like, you know, sharing that uh, moment of learning and silence and listening to your elders somehow. I mean, you gave me a pretty unique, specific learning, right? Like, I mean, be silent, be respectful. There's a big amount of things you don't know and listen, listen up, you know? And uh, and, uh, and again, like, I mean, it, it, it has been, that's why I was like trying to go back to this two and a half years ago with Hedy and, and, and Tony. It seems like I've been, you know, spending hours and weeks with Tony and Hedy. Actually, it's been, you know, maybe 76 hours with Tony all my life. Because they were, these were very intense, hours who cares about hours right like i mean we need some system to move you know that and again this is something right like i mean exactly we're learning here <laughs> it's not about that that linearity of course we, we we need certain number of epistemologies or or we could say epistemological tools to drive ourselves within this this reality but as never again i mean ever in time i i think there's a there's a little door that's starting to open a new door and I, I when I see you guys I see that that future I'm like perhaps you know this is this is making me hopeful and and again it doesn't make me feel alone it, it makes me feel accompanied because I I did have these um questions when I was like five ten like why my mom is white why the only brown person in my family is my dad why when people talk about like a rover or someone that did wrong they talk about a black person we don't have a black community in argentina but when you talk about a brown person who's usually poor of course as geopolitics and the economy of the world distribute wealth i mean mandate so they talk about the black person and i'm like i'm a, then you know i'm this i'm, I'm I, it affects me affects affect and it has been affecting me for many 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 years it took me a long time to deconstruct that thing I'm still deconstructing it but then i come to sydney again i i meet people that are 10 years younger and are already so much more I don't want to use the, the word advanced because it, it, it brings this idea of some sort of evolution or teleology, you know. Yeah, I think we've had the privilege of, um, of families that aren't as um, con constrained by previous laws and politics to be able to explore those things um, really honestly with each other that you know, a generation ago, two generations ago, probably is how you would have felt, you know, that you feel now. So... I've never seen your work before, ever. Uh, I, I don't travel around the world very much as an Aboriginal curator, <laughs> but the way that Justin was describing it and the way that the, the slideshow that you presented and you were saying just before that, you know, by having these little glimpses into First Nations worlds or, or meeting people like Hetty and Tony and us and um, those little glimmers of hope, that's how I imagine walking into one of your works feels. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see one of your works in the flesh one day to feel how that feels emotively because that's, that's obviously a huge part of your practice is that emotive shift mm. and that little glimpse of surprise or the, the unknown that 
that that you get so do you just go through seeking around the world to feel those things and then recreate them in art <laughs> that's a very good question i guess so right yeah i feel like um again i will i, I will try to like narrate a little bit of, of what happened to me yesterday right like i mean we 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 are going to this to see these carvings so i'm 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 taken there and all of a sudden i'm asked if i you know know how to do fire with sticks never done it in my life all of a sudden we're in this kind of parking lot and with like you know people that i recognize i mean like i see them you know i'm, I'm getting closer to my 40s so i, I see you guys also with some sort of tender eyes you know you see yeah, like affection. young people and affection yeah just because of like seeing someone that could be my baby brother right and then this other friend of yours appears who looks even younger i'm like oh my god like how long it's been that i haven't been with like eight people this age and then some more other tinier creatures appear that like 10 and 15 and 14 and 13 and we are all sharing this experience and then we walk uh yeah, you know without our shoes and um, on these tiny rocks and and it's like it takes us a while and then we go into this little corridor and you know some of the children are scared of spiders so we try to help them and some you know have their little feet like they're hurting so the, some other offers to carry them so it's like and then we arrive to the the the, the sacred uh side and we start to learn about these stories of the carvings but this moment where you know no one's explaining anything to us, so we have to be very silent and, and we don't know what, you know, if this is fish or it's a whale or if it's like some other hybrid mutant animal, I mean, or creature. And yes, that's what I want for my work. I want to create a space for uncertainty because I feel like more and more it's been offered to us as a benefit to know everything. And I think. Yeah, we have to cultivate and you know more and more these moments of uh, not knowing where to go, right? Like, um, but in those moments, like I would assume, it feels like to be surrounded by your work. There's not a feeling of fear, or there isn't a feeling of threat, is there? You you seemed very. I didn't go with you to that particular site, but when I saw you afterwards, you seemed exceptionally energized and humbled in in a way. And I'm like, I sh I, from looking at your work, I, I think that I would feel that same kind of grandeur. Hopefully, in the best case, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, what can I say? I mean, I, I, I like to think that, you know, most of these projects, let's say 80% of what I've done doesn't exist anymore. And there's no way to recreate them. So what I, what I like to think about this or what's the, the outcome of this? It's like the energy, the energy you employed, the human energy and the collaborative energy. Because it's when you go into these places where you're like, wow, what, how this happened? Doesn't happen because, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a multiple man, don't want to be. I'm very aware of my limits. So I have to resource to help of others. And I, I have to say that the, the, the more I, I, I grow older and the more I reflect on what I've done, I always like to do things with people. I, I really like to do things with, with others. And I really like to, you know, create like as if it was some sort of band, right? Like, I mean, you, you may be good at drums, you may be good at bass, you may be the, the singer. The, and this type of the role I like to, to play. And if I have to think about like, and this is a very recent uh, reflection. I remember I, want, I wanted to be a comic book artist. And when I was like 10, 
And one thing I loved to do all, all my high school like uh, education period was to try to find, I mean, you, this is a pre-internet world, right? Um, try to find other kids that would like comics, that would like to draw comics or write comics and invite them to my house. And we would have these gatherings and we were trying to put a publication together. So from very early on, I've been like looking for people and say like, you may be good at drawing whatever you think. You may be good at inking. And I, I really was fascinated by the idea of like meeting with people. And my most treasured memories of that time are, you know, these summers in Argentina where we would gather at home and we were like five, six, seven. The comic never happened. It never happened. But did it matter but that the comic happened? Never. No, no, it didn't because it was about meeting people. But it's something that it took me a while to recognize that, that that's the first gesture of like reaching out to others and saying like, I'm, I'm incomplete, so mm -hmm. I need to be completed. Anyways, going back to these projects, it is a lot about some sort of a recording of that energy, mm -hmm. right? The, 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 the project, I mean, I call them projects sometimes, like whatever you got in, when you see something that I've done, uh, is in the end that, that level of energy and synergy. And not only among us, let's say we are this team of makers, but also about, it's about our host. So when you were asking me like, what's the thing you do when you go and visit these places? It's, it's never, it will never be what I want to, I never impose something to the space. There's this level of negotiation of transaction with the space. Space and the space is not, walls doesn't matter how you know beautiful the architecture of the space is the limits also come from i mean people because pe spaces are people are, are inhabited by people there are these creatures behind the walls of every museum every institution every house that make things work right like make makes a uh, life work right i think that's that's such such an amazing and beautiful thing as as an artist like like for me as a curator, the reason that I like especially Aboriginal art is because I can I, I, you know, I can understand it, but it also makes me feel so much. I can feel uh, connected to it like racially, spiritually, intellectually, and then help to share that with other people. And I've, I've found you fascinating because you can tell that you're grasping onto the emotion and the intellect of the people around you to try and reproduce something that can um, uh, give justice or life to that. Which I guess is um, one of the most beautiful things about art is to have that shared experience of, of a feeling that then connects us as a humanity. So we're no longer seeing necessarily the constructs of our, our country's racial history, political history, our own DNA and history. Instead, it's pulling us straight back to that bare emotion. And I think that that's really admirable, and I'm very excited to see what you what you make. And this is only your fourth visit to Australia, so there's so much more to explore. Absolutely. Um, in terms of our history as a, as a country. Can I say something? I really like that you're bringing up the the emotional fact, because I think like. Uh, in our territory of contemporary art, you know, like emotions are so underrated, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's like almost you're a cheesy artist or you, you know, you didn't go to the right art school. And I'm, I'm very much in favor of like resourcing to emotions. I do want my work to be emotional and have emotional aspects. So I, I really appreciate that you're, you know, I mean, appreciating 
and respecting that side of my, my practice. Well, it's clearly evident the way that you've interacted, especially with like Wes and I in our short amount of time spent together, that that's a massive priority of yours. That must be so exhausting to go to so many different countries though, and, and at the same time so energizing to then tap into... Because it's all... It's not... The history of the world is not easy. <laughs> so, um, how do you sustain yourself then? They're like, if because I have enough trouble dealing with you know just just Aboriginal art and Aboriginal history. Sometimes <laughs> I go home and I want to cry. Um, and you you go and take on obviously you use your yourself and your team as a vessel to encapsulate that and produce work. Like, I'm curious to know how you have so little grey hairs. I have way more than I had like two years ago, but yeah, you're right. It's a very good, it's another very excellent question because it is exhausting, but also it's so rewarding. If I have to remember who I was 10 years ago uh, or even 15 years ago, I was a very silent person. I was very shy. It was, I, I, I wasn't, I mean, even like, if I have to tell you how I was as a teenager, I was usually um, most of my time in my room and reading my comic books and, and books and watching my, my Japanese animation and films and stuff. Like I, 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 was, I changed a lot. The, my work changed me a lot. It, 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 it learned me to, it, it, it taught me to be very open. As I, I was trying to, to, to say this, uh, to tell you guys this tiny anecdote that the first time I ever prayed was two years and something ago in um, Anyang, which is a city in the south of uh, South Korea. And we had this site visit in a potential place where we we're going to place some whatever object. And, uh, and I, you know, sneak in into some tiny temple and there's this monk and he's like, of course, I don't speak any Korean. And he's like, you know, nodding me in and he's like, you know, doing some gestures. He said, yeah, come, pray, whatever, do some something with me. And I'm, I was like, amazing, yeah, why not? I've never done it. <laughs> Feels like the best place to do it, right? Like, I mean, I, I, would, I don't know if I would have done it in a... I want to be very clear with this. <laughs> I don't know if I would have done it in a Catholic church. <laughs> but uh, over there, it felt like a good place to, to, to do it. And you let yourself be taken you know and generationally i think do you i i feel like we're changing as a generation like you, you keep bringing up that you're 10 years older than me but you know i spent most of my time in my room alone as well you know um i don't think um solitary time or time away from phones and um internet is 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 really a part of the normality of um, youth today or even us now as professionals mm-hmm. having to use all of this technology and I think that you know I will from my personal experience people who can really soak in the emotive nature of a conversation or a person um, have had that solitary time and I feel like your work would also be like the the monk bringing you into the temple where you feel <laughs> the 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 not so much need to feel the silence or the space, which I think, you know, I, I, I've never even seen your work and I've got so many opinions about it, don't I? <laughs> but I, I think that the beautiful thing about what's going on with these conversations that I, I think you're tackling on, on this very specific logic of, of my work. You're, you're, I, these are the conversations I enjoy the most. Like if you grab me and say like, hey, well, tell me a little bit about why, why these colors in these columns and or these forms, whatever. 
it's going to be very difficult for me to talk to you about those like formal decisions. Uh, I don't trust in that type of vocabulary to talk about art. That's why like when someone tells me like, okay, what do you do? I'm like, I mean, I, I don't even, I mean, and this is going to sound again, very cheesy and very form-like maybe, but um, I don't want to think of myself as an artist. I don't want to think of what I do as art. I don't want to think that I, I you know, I want to try to push a little bit myself and others to generate some sort of new vocabulary. Right, like I mean, at least that's. I mean, it's it's strong enough to play with words, right? In the in the end, this is our, some of our main tools, and I really like what you said about like being the monk, because um, it's true that one one tries to invite someone to something where there's a pretty big amount of uh, unknowns. You know, like when that mm. monk was like, come. Was trust. It's that going back mm. to that humanity again mm. and trusting in that person, like, um, which I think, you know, we need to do more of as a society is, it, and as humans globally. You know, there's so much conflict and it's, it's, it's in our faces all the time now. So these spaces to be able to enjoy each other's company without any kind of political context to sway us, to look at each other without looking just at each other you know totally um, but, um, but um, I, I, if you if you don't mind Kobe I want to go back to one little thing because also it's important to when you have the access like we were discussing the thing of like having this beautiful artist passport right and then you go and you meet like you know wonderful young curators and educators and they take you to these wonderful places you know it's a privilege and um, one thing that's important to me is not go into this drive of let's say culture, culture's consumption, right? Like I don't want to treat the world as a shopping mall. I don't want to treat you guys on some, you know, cute like uh, whatever uh, Louis Vuitton bag. I don't want to treat my, my way of intersecting different like places into that. So the, the way to do this is like, first of all, be very careful with the amount of projects I do. And the other one is like devote myself as much as I can to the space. This is why we're talking about the fourth time, right? Like, I mean, it, there's a, also a danger of the traveling artist. We start to like, you know, pick as in a, you know, cute shop and you have your beautiful golden credit card and you're like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, you know, it's like, you know, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I need to be very careful with that because, of course, we all have that tendency. It's, it's wonderful to be invited to all these places. Look, I mean, but I I'm never... sure your work wouldn't resonate as much if you had a different methodology. I'm sure that it wouldn't have the success and you wouldn't have the success that you do if you if you went by a different methodology and if you were a different person, you know, very much um, open to having raw conversations with you and I, that, that's your personality that's your essence and with that passport you then you know get to experience these things and then share it in, a, in with the world through your practice the other thing about your work is it, it is so big it, well, it seems so big and it almost theatrical but mm -hmm. visual art a lot of the time what I love about it is that you know when you're sitting in a theater you have to sit through the whole thing once you bought your ticket and <laughs> you don't have any you don't have any idea what what's going to go on on the stage but you have to be prepared to sit there and take it in and whether or not you like it 
I feel like your work is a little bit like that because (laughs) (laughs) even though, you know, the, the viewer might be willing to go to a gallery and see the work, I feel like with yours, just by looking at images, that there's always a, a turn and a surprise and something that you're just going to get caught unexpectedly for doing, which do you mean to cause such allure and such surprise with, with your work? It, it seems very intentional. Yeah, no, it is. And um, I think that the number of strategies that um, one tries to implement, I think, um, erasure of labels. I mean, erasure of the, let's say what I, what let's one, talk what, about that erasure of labels, which I've loved as okay. soon as you spoke about that. Cause, that's um, I, you know, we, uh, we, we briefly touched on, um, Rusty Peters, Gamare, what is this museum? The, um, Gija artist and how he detailed the, the museum as, as, as the land and as the landscape and, um, and the objects that the ancestors made sit in those places just like the, the, the painting sits on the wall in the gallery and then there's pe- people that are, are tasked with looking after those things. And I love that you take away your labels and don't have that um, just to heighten the experience, I guess, of the person instead of a, you just walking around a gallery space and looking for Picasso's works especially. Can you talk wh- about why that is so important to you? Yeah. First of all, this be- this began in a very very um, naive and intuitive way. Like in, 2000, in between two thousand eight and two thousand nine, I was basically removing the labels from from the shows I was invited to to do. I, and this was uh, I mean perhaps I can go into one anecdote. I I did this project uh, in what what was the the end of the world biennial, which is in the southernmost city in the world in Ushuaia in my country. And that's where I did, um, let's say, a big whale beached in, in, in what, what looks like a forest, right? And right at the, you know, a few hours before the opening, some, some person from, you know, curatorial department or whatever, they come, or, or the exhibition design, they come with a sign and, you know, they stick it in the ground and put like a label, this is a title, this is the artist. And again, in a very naive, uh, raw fashion, I was like, no, this feels wrong. I mean, I, I was, of course, a very young, I mean, I was more or less your age. So I was a very young and, uh, and of course, ambitious artist. You know, I had just finished this quite huge project. I mean, the biggest thing I ever done up to that moment. But somehow I felt it was wrong that people knew that that thing was done by someone. I wanted people to be in front of something that was quite undefined in, 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 in the ways it was produced and, and had this ambiguity between something that was perhaps human-made or non-human-made. And I don't want to go into the word nature because that's another complicated word and we can talk about nature too. But um, um, So that's, that's kind of a very special moment to me. Because as a... As a curator, we're spending a lot of time now trying to find people's names, <laughs> trying to find that information because of the ethnographic and anthropological way of collecting Indigenous materials and culture, cultural material. It was, you know, they would name the hat, they would name the, the, the shirt, they would name everything, but not the human. 
Um, <laughs> and you've, you, you're now going in, in that opposite direction where you're wanting to distance yourself. And I find that absolutely fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but at the same time, really, really beautiful because it's that knowledge thing that we're talking about as well. And the privilege of knowledge and, you know, as ancestors, we want to know their names, but also there are some material culture that I, I don't care to know about. Like Wes was saying, you know, earlier on yesterday, like there are some things that in his culture men should only know and the, the, the site that you were taken to, like, I'm sure it's beautiful, I'm sure it's great, but I don't feel the need to know that. What's your view on how, I guess, we navigate naming and how much a curator or an artist should be giving away about their artworks nowadays like Hmm. you mean giving away in terms of information about the work yeah like are you happy you're obviously happy to have um, so many elements missing from from the information i think i'm I'm very happy with that i think at at a very institutional hardcore level it's complicated yeah and sometimes it's easier sometimes I mean it, de- it depends a lot also on whom you're working with again I have like it's, I'm gonna sound like uh, ridiculous but I, I, I must say that in my experience for instance in, in, in this institution these conversations are very welcomed but in some other places it's not that they are not welcome it's that they need to you know you institutions since we're talking about institutions right like I mean they do have contracts with their audience. You pay a ticket and you go and and literally, you see something, literally. You have to see stuff. If you don't see something when you pay a ticket, if you didn't learn something, you're, you know, you're in troubles with your audience. You're not delivering the product. And the renegotiation with your audience, it's incredibly complicated. You know, I I do think we are in a moment where if I were a curator or a director of an institution, I would be like, look at what Black Panther did to the discussion about ethnicity. Like, look about how, I mean, look about how virtual reality or augmented reality may do to whatever crazy rain room we do. We're in troubles if we don't renegotiate. And I'm not saying that the direction is going into a spectacle. I'm not saying that, you know, it has to be like bigger and greater and flashier. But I do think that what, I mean, this idea of collecting, this idea of labeling, this idea of has to be absolutely reassessed. How much of what museums collect is really shown? How much? It's like it's like um, these these uh, gangsters movies, right? When this guy goes into like a restaurant and he, he has to kill one he or she has to kill usually these uh, guys, right? Like he has to kill one person, right? But they go with this machine gun and they shoot like one hundred people just to kill that guy, right? Museums have to like collect one hundred, but they will be like two or three, right? Like the, the, the hand-picked for the big age history, right? So what? It's such a nonsense, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a really nonsense. So what, what I'm trying to propose, 
And I, I started to propose it in a very, like, again, very naive way. And now it has become a much more crystallized thought, hopefully, crossing fingers. <laughs> so let's not collect anything and let's generate experiences. And I think the point of this for me is that that's your, that's your self-determination as, a, as an individual to choose what information is, is, is disclosed or, or what information is completely missing, which, which I absolutely adore. Historically, you know, the, the names of ancestors not being recorded wasn't their, their, their choice. That wasn't their decision. But now there are a lot of painters or artists where there'll be segments of their painting that, you know, I'll be like, oh, what's that mean? And they'll be like, oh, I don't know, it's, it's just, um, it is what it is, sort of thing. I love it when that happens. But audiences <laughs> hate it. Why do you think that we've been so processed and, I guess, so trained to... Because there are 250 years of uh, the institution of museums. I mean, the history of museums is about, like, uh, education. It's about the process that begins in, basically, the French Revolution. And the model hasn't changed much. So I mean, we're going to change hang- the model the way, the, the way, <laughs> Absolutely, but the way of hanging art has changed. Yeah. But the way of, you know, producing knowledge throughout that, those tactics, which is basically a big space with the X amount of material that has to be observed, apprehended, and learned from, hasn't changed. And um, at, that, at that time, it was incredibly revolutionary. At this time, now, 250 years after, it's not working anymore. And yeah, we... we, we backpedaling well, we a little bit, aren't we? We're just backpedaling and saying, okay, how much information is too much information? And <laughs> where then do we become... Where then do we... Uh, I feel like um, we can sometimes intellectualize art and um, the practice, art practices so much that we forget the function of it and we forget. Mm, totally. I, and I think that's why, um, you know, when you said you don't like the labels, I, 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 I was swooning a little bit. <laughs> but I, I think I'm talking about the function again. You, you, I, 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 I agree so much with you. I think, uh, and that's, that's another luxury of my work when I, I go into this, when, when we are talking about like, what I wanted to create with like people going into this uh, forest and finding a, a whale is a little bit what happened to me yesterday at, uh, in, the, uh, in the afternoon when I was taken to the, 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 the carvings. I, I really, there was no way for me to know what, what was coming after, you know, after every step we were making. And there was something about the physicality, like, you know, I had to make this, uh, this fire. So of course I have this like, my, 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 my <laughs> precious hands that have never done it, so now they are hurting. But it's beautiful, right? Because yeah, he has nothing. I have my little talus here. So, you know, there's something about it. And then we had to, you know, walk up barefoot. So there was something about, like, feeling those, the, the gravel on, 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 on the sole of my feet. And, and, and that, 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 that was hurting. But it, it was, like, totally about the, the rhetorics of the process. Of the, of the procedure to arrive to that place that was so important to me. And in, in my imagination, when I was doing that whale, I wanted people to climb that hill and be tired and be bored and not find anything or find something or some people would find it, some people wouldn't. Again, it's about these non, non, no, no directions. Yes, and, and again, I, I think uh, perhaps one answer, it, and I, I feel like that's, that's the answer I'm trying to bring with my work, is like, there's no way to, co- it's very difficult to collect it. What, whatever you collect, it's a very useless fragment. And, I, and this is something I say very openly, right? So, I mean, and, and I, I've been lucky enough to have 
fragments of my work in, in some very good collections, but I do know they are useless. And I, I do know I'm like dynamiting my my project as some someone that can be revisited in, in 100 or 200 years if there was any interest. Because there will, there, there will be basically some pictures, some good ones, I'm trying to... <laughs> good ones, but uh, there won't be much. And, and it's programmed and it's very conscious. I, I, I do want to to create this level of, uh, uh, of uh, yeah, disappearance, right? How we will disappear. I mean, this is a very, it's a question that I keep asking myself a lot. How we will, how I will disappear. And I'm, I'm working from that position in, in, in this end I put for myself. So, um, um, and I don't think I've asked you this question. Are you religious in any sense? No. No? Because but I mean, <laughs> yeah. Because the experiences that you seem to perpetuate through your work um, seem to be very connected to the the stillness of you know, our prayer or the um, the mindfulness of Buddhism and being in in, in um, present in, in one moment, which you know is replicated throughout a lot of religions. Most religions mm-hmm. are, are mm-hmm. about that, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They're about connecting with other people and connecting with that True. moment in True. time. So, so you're right. I mean, I, I guess like, this is a bias I have, right? Like I come from a very, very Catholic country with a single mention of religion. It's very difficult for me to deconstruct it. And, and mm-hmm. this is again, like today in, the, in this very early morning ceremony, we, we all participated in the was elements that go into a metaphysical experience. So if I'm the person that likes to think in, in a very metaphysical uh, pers- I mean, position perspective, Yes, I like it. Yeah, I mean, and and, and the, the the more one, yeah, I mean, I think I it's something that's changing a lot inside of me. Perhaps like ten years ago, I would have said something very differently. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't consider myself religious either, but I do see those moments of mm-hmm. um, of connectivity, mm-hmm. and especially through my my practice as a curator, mm-hmm. um, but also you know through I don't know jumping out of the sky and things like that just to uh, feel something different and to really explore the extent of humanity exactly. and emotion yeah and even sometimes you know like i mean you create your own ways of being in this world right like i mean as one i mean i, I arriving to these 38 years i mean I, I i know i have made a number of decisions to uh that that have created a quite to, to me i mean a very special ecosystem in which i function you know like i'm I work very closely with my parents. They are part of my team in a way. Mm. I still go back to Rosario and stay there in my my room, the room I I had since I was born. Uh, And this house is house, I mean, the the, the house we ever used, a very tiny house actually. And and if my girlfriend comes and visits, we stay in that room. And for many people, it might sound like this guy is absolutely bonkers, right? Like, I mean, what is wrong with this person? But I do believe in special ways to create kin, you know, odd kin. And I, I do believe it more and more. And, and again, like, uh, those are the, the ways I want to exist in a perpetual surprise. You know, like, I, mean, I, I wake up in the morning and I have a one-one conversation with my mother or father, which is very different to the one I had when I was 28, and it's very different to the one I had when I was 18. And I think all in my family have like created that, this kind of, you know, um, 
off-center ecosystem where we collaborate in very special ways and I like it. I mean, this is the, the temple of, uh, of this invitation to go into a temple. And I, I, I call my house a cave. I, I'm start, I mean, it's so worn out because of like, it hasn't, I mean, it's a middle class, working class family house. It hasn't gone through any kind of renovation. So it's like, like walls are like, you know, falling apart and the wallpaper in some parts is like missing. And some of the walls of my room have all these stains of me when I was painting, because of course in the first years of the art school you paint, so I had like trying my colors on the wall. So it's like this basically like really rock, <laughs> my rock painting inside my, my little room. Uh, I, I, I like to, to, to live in that, you know what I mean? So that I only in these very special moments of uh, uh, when you're abroad and hundreds of kilometers away from home, you can ex experience that. Also, you can experience it at, at home, yeah. right? With friends, with people, with your friends, with your family. I'm hoping you can do that for the entire um, nation of Australia. If, if, if you ever um, make an amazing work based in Australia, that they will be able to come into that and feel that emotion and that string of humanity that you seem to um, take everywhere that you go in the world. And as a, a person who lives here, knowing you now, I'm really excited one day to share that experience, whether it be on Australian soil with an Australian project or overseas with another project, to have that shared experience that is ephemeral in terms of um, museum <laughs> conservation, but sure. not in terms of spiritual <laughs> preservation within ourselves. Spiritual preservation. Awesome. Well, you've kind of switched roles there. I think yesterday afternoon you had to stand and listen and just observe in silence. I feel a bit useless sitting here beside <laughs> you too, um, this afternoon. But I mean, what a conversation that, that grew from, from that, that little moment yesterday. I'd like to thank you both for your generous gift of time and, and conversation and sharing of Fast years of knowledge, although Kobe's 10 years younger. Really, really appreciate it, so thank you. Yeah, thanks. It's nice to have a, a conversation like that. Thank you, not the same, like, I mean, incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Head to our website, visualarts.net.au, for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.